Welcome to Great Commission Conversations, a program where we engage in conversation with Bible-believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. I'm Lee Cadenhead, an assistant pastor at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. The country of China boasts a population of around 1.4 billion souls, which accounts for over 18% of the Earth's population. Since 1949, China has been under communist rule, and the atheistic worldview of the Communist Party has created an atmosphere that is antagonistic to faith of any kind, including the faith of Christ. Despite this antagonism, we continually hear of the explosive growth of the church in China. In recent years, despite whatever gains the church has made in the country, the antagonism of the Chinese government toward Christianity is increasing. And yet there are many American missionaries continuing to serve the Lord and plant churches in the People's Republic of China, albeit unofficially as mission work is illegal there. So what's the state of the church in China? And what are we to make of the glowing reports of the church's expansion in the country? What is the house church movement? And if there are churches that meet legally in China, why are most unregistered and underground? These are among the topics that we tackle in today's interview. My guest has been serving in China for nearly 20 years as of this recording. His name is Greg. I'm withholding his last name for security purposes. I've known Greg personally since around 2008, and I regard him as a realistic observer of the spiritual and religious situation in China. This will be a two-part interview, and in this first installment, we learn about how the Lord got Brother Greg to the field of China and some of the adjustments that he's made since arriving there, and we discuss his take on the general condition of Chinese Christianity. Thanks for joining us today. Now for part one with Brother Greg on ministering in China. Brother Greg, you're in the States presently, and I know that you're anxious to get back to China, which is very much at this stage your home. You related a story recently of encountering two young Chinese men in a store in the States here, two students, as I recall, and you heard them speaking to each other, and then you addressed them in their language of Mandarin and joked with them that you had been in China longer than they had so that you were more Chinese than they were. So how long have you been in China, and how did you how did the Lord deal with your heart about getting you to the country of China? Right. Um, yeah, I, I met those two young men in the store, and I was actually eavesdropping on their conversation, just waiting for an opportunity to butt in and hopefully be a witness to them. And um, I joked about that being in China longer than they have because they were young guys going to college. I went to China in 2001. And when I went to China, it was the day before 911 911 was on a tuesday and i was praying uh, i wanted to leave for china after having church on sunday and i wanted to leave on a monday and at that time the airlines we went through a booking agent and the airline they said oh there's no tickets then i said uh, well uh, keep trying i was praying about it and they said well it's hard they're all booked on monday tuesday is okay i said no if you, I'd really like to leave on Monday. And I was going to, coming down to the wire where I was going to have to make a decision. I just kept on praying about it. And the Lord, Lord was very gracious. And in reality, maybe it's not that big of a deal, but it was a real blessing to me and a real, a real good token of his kindness, being able to allow me to leave on Monday because I really wanted to leave on a Monday after, after, uh, after Sunday being in church. And um, as it turned out, 
the hand of the Lord was in it all because nine one one happened while we were in the air flying. And so I remember landing in uh, in a, in a Tokyo where we had to change planes, and I remember at the airport there was no uh, volume on the televisions, but I kept on seeing the explosions of nine one one that in the, the planes going to the. I didn't know what it was. Then later, when we got actually landed in China, it was explained to me what happened. I was surprised. So, so since two thousand one, I uh, I've been in China. How does the Lord deal with one's heart on that? At the time, I was in when I was a uh, studying the Bible. Where I was doing, I was going to church, studying Bible in Bible school. My my idea was to be a pastor. It was my inclination to be a pastor. I had no inclination to be a missionary. And uh, I was saved uh, through listening to a television program. Actually, it was, that was the television program was a catalyst for my salvation. Uh, that was just what I was listening to when I actually received Jesus Christ as my Savior. And many times before that, I've heard uh, the gospel on the radio and the uh, Gospel, you know, churches everywhere in America, whether they're good churches or bad churches, they're everywhere. It's part of American culture. Christianity is part of American culture. So when I was sitting in church one time, I remember hearing a preacher and a couple of things he said that really rubbed me the wrong way. And not in the, and I was, and I was thinking, well, do I want to spend the rest of my life uh, here in America where People can hear the gospel easily like I did. I heard it over the TV program. Um, people pass out tracts freely here. And I was having a conversation with myself. And I was asking, where would you go? I don't know. Maybe India. India. is it? And I was thinking thinking this in my heart. And so this came to my mind, oh, there's a brother so-and-so who just went to India. Well, where else would you go? I don't know. Maybe China. And that's where... It, the thought came into my head, and and from there, it just grew. It took root, and um, it's how the Lord deals with an individual's heart. I think it's a little bit different for each individual, and as sure. far as the call to a specific work or specific place or specific job um, that the Lord would have each one of us do, I think it's a little, I don't think there's no cookie-cut pattern for it. Uh, sure. But I do know that it's 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 a Christian doing what they ought to be now ought to be doing at present at that present time. I was doing everything I knew that I should have been doing. I was going to church. I was reading my Bible. I was praying. I was preparing for whatever God would have me to do, and um, and I was looking to to wanting to I had this desire to serve the Lord and be of be of use for him, and um, and in that, and all my and all my in every aspect of my life, I was trying to do right. So, um, and I think, and uh, what I usually use to ex- illustrate it is some people. I think the Lord would has called, but they're not in as as many a preacher has said, they're not in calling distance, and uh, and. And Samuel, when the Lord called Samuel, he didn't realize it was the Lord calling him. The Lord had to call him three times. The Lord called him twice, and then, and then Eli, 
an older man recognized this and said, hey, that's the Lord calling you. The Lord revealed himself by the word of the Lord to Samuel. And, uh, and there's no, I didn't have any special unique verse of scripture. Or, and, and also, I began talking with other people about this as well. Some older men in the church, you know, maybe I got this inclination, maybe this, this, this. And depends on who you talk to. Some will say, hey, that's of the Lord. Go, go with it. And the others will say, nah, I don't know about that. And depending <laughs> on what answer you want, you can find the right person to give you the right answer. <laughs> and finally, I, I talked to my pastor about it. I was expecting, I was ex- like Elijah, uh, like Naaman with Elijah, expecting some, some kind of great wisdom and some great words or something uh, to come out. And he, it was almost a basic one sentence. You know, I think the Lord might be dealing with me about going to China. I was expecting maybe a long spiel or something. And he said, well, just ask the Lord to make it crystal clear. <laughs> In my heart, I said, that's it. Just, that's it. Well, when you, went, when you went to China in 2001, did you go supported? Had you raised support at that stage? And did you go to to stay as a fully supported missionary? Well, when I went to China in 2001, I was very under-supported. I was supported, and the support fluctuates from month to month. Um, it, I had maybe um, one month, uh, 900 bucks that came in, another month, 1,000 bucks that came in. And uh, at the time, I was and also I was teaching English as a second language in China, which most missionaries do. That helped. I went under-supported because I was a single man. When I went to China, that was one of the my detriments. Depending on what uh, the Lord has would have one to do, it can be a very limiting thing. I went there as a single man, and I felt I had to prove myself. And some of the, maybe some of that maybe some of that's just um, pride. And I'm sure some of that's just pride. Um, but I've also felt these churches uh, are taking a chance with me, uh, supporting me, and I don't want to get. And we've all heard many, many stories of missionaries going on deputation for several years, and for whatever reason, uh, they're off the field after three or four years. And some, you know, some of these reasons are very legitimate. But I'm not. I was thinking, as a single guy, for me to. I felt very awkward raising money as a single guy. That's primary the reason. That's probably the prime. And also, honestly, looking back, I was, I was, I probably got ahead of the Lord. I probably did. It's water under the bridge. Nothing I can do about it now. But um, the Lord uses that stuff, and we learn from it. We learn from our mistakes. Hopefully, hopefully, we don't have to repeat them. So when I went there, I went with some support. I had been on deputation for approximately, not a quite a full year, not a full year. I went, I began deputation probably August. My first meeting was probably around August of 2000, probably August or September, right around there of 2000. And then I was in China uh, by September, 2001. And when you got there, did you did you know anybody that was already in the country, or were you more or less going in blind? Yeah, I 
I purposely linked up with a with another missionary there, uh, who I won't mention here. Um, it's just for safety reasons. Um, and he had been there for he and his family had been there for at that time probably probably at least fifteen years, probably a little bit over fifteen years. And the reason I hooked up with him was be, not because I could help him. There really wasn't anything I could do. Um, I hooked up with him because I just wanted to be, as a single guy, again, as a single guy, I wanted to be, I wanted to have uh, accountability, and I, and I thought it would be a good idea. Um, and I, I really wanted to do everything that was right. And Sure. And uh, looking back now, I mean, it's, uh, there's some things I would have done differently, but that's with hindsight. That's with hindsight. One of the big hurdles, of course, in transitioning to a place like, um, well, any any foreign field is to acquire the language. And I know that that was a priority for you And uh, when you first arrived on the field. How long did it take you to get to where you were conversational in Mandarin Chinese? The the language thing is there's never a, there's never a point where it was probably a couple of years being there for a couple of years, whereas I was able to have conversations. But again, the conversations certainly weren't very deep um, or very long. <laughs> um, it, the language, even now, I've, I've been there since 2001. The language is still something I'm acquiring now. It's an endless, endless, endless job, endless task. It's kind of like studying the Bible. Is there ever a point where you can say I've arrived or living a Christian life? Is there ever a point where we can say, oh, I've arrived? There's just it's just endless and endless because there's um, I began the first year I was there on the advice of somebody else. I started teaching English and I was had a Chinese tutor and I, and I realized, whoa. Uh, I need to study this language full time. So the second year, I enrolled in a school and I began studying the language full time. And I continued to study full time for several years after that. Uh, my intelligence would be average. Some people can acquire it faster than others. It, it, it goes by um, degrees. It goes by degrees. And so, uh, as the longer you go, the the I don't know the the deeper your roots get in the language, and there's always there's always a deficiency. For for example, if you have to have some work done in your in your apartment, and you have to have the worker come and look at this, and he tells you, "Oh yeah, you need this, this," then you're going to learn some new words because I've never learned uh, the word for molding and caulking, whatever it is, whatever it may be, you know, whatever it is he's dealing with or plumbing. Or if you're having uh, repair work done on a car and the mechanic says this, this, and you, then it's a different vocabulary. It's just not for a, for a missionary. Oh, voca- Bible vocabulary. I mean, there's medical, uh, there's construction, there's, I mean, you name it. In every aspect of life, there's its own vocabulary. So it's just endless. So while you went to the field as a, as a single man, you didn't stay on the field as a single man in, in time you would, uh, meet and marry a young Chinese lady. And tell us, tell us briefly about that encounter. I was wondering how, how good your Chinese was when you 
when you met your wife and how that developed and how her conversion figured into that whole story. So when I met my wife, we were introduced to us by a barber. At that time, the barber I was going into, and I had for I had a I had a full head of hair at that time, <laughs> <laughs> so I would have to go to the barber and have it cut. And I had witnessed to this barber several times. In fact, he had been over to my apartment at least once, maybe twice. I don't remember, but at least once. And I had sat down with him with a Bible and tried to try to try to help lead him to Jesus Christ. And he had, he, to my knowledge, he never got saved, but he was a, he was, he wasn't a bad guy anyway. And I talked with him for a while and he said, Hey, uh, you know, I know you're single, but I, uh, I know this girl that she's, she's a pretty decent girl. I don't know if you'd have any interest in me giving you her telephone number. I said, no, I'm looking for a good Christian woman. I'm not looking for, um, just any girl. He said, well, she's pretty, she, can I give you her number? Uh, can I give your number to her? I said, yeah, go ahead. And at that time in China, I'd been there for about four years, I think, four years, four years. Anyway, at that time, I have, I was seriously had enough of single life in China. And I was debating, I was praying and debating whether I should go back to the States because Lord, um, I, I can't, I can't, I can't keep going on like this as a single guy in China. And I said, okay, give her my my, my number. And I was thinking, uh, I'll just witness to her and just drive her off. I just keep, and that that was my that was. I said, I don't want to waste my time. And so she called me. By, by the way, the barber had said the same thing to her. He said, I know this guy. You might be interested, and she, and but he's a foreigner. My wife told the barber at that time, said, he's a foreigner? Foreigners are just playboys. I'm, not, I'm serious. I don't want someone like that. And he, he said, well, he's, he's a little bit different. Anyway, she called me, and we got together for a cup of coffee. And we, from the beginning, I spoke Chinese. And I, was, I did that out of, um, and we, we could have a conversation in Chinese. My Chinese level at that time was well enough so we could converse in Chinese, just about anything. Um, but a preaching was a little bit different. But anyway, um, and I did that because I was always leery of folks coming along wanting to practice their English on me. And I kept it in the language of Chinese. And she was happy to do that. And also, something about if I keep it in Chinese, that way I'm more confident that what I'm saying is being registered by the person who's listening, as opposed to English, where some things may may not be registered fully. So uh, and we talked, and I witnessed to her, and I walked her home, and that was I thought that was it. And then eventually, I would send her Bible verses. At that time, I had a little Nokia telephone, and I would send her Bible verses, and witness to her. Within about three months, she had gotten saved. And at that time, I was had a little meeting and was having a little meeting in our in my apartment, but it wasn't. I wouldn't call it a church. And she eventually got saved. And uh, due to that, um, I had witnessed to her, and I, and I was, then the the ideas, then every then the wheels start turning in your brain, in my brain anyway. I was thinking, 
okay, she's, she's pretty serious about mm, some things and I'm pretty serious about some things. Um, where to next? And as a, as a precaution, because when some people, some Christians get saved, they get saved, but they don't live for the Lord or they don't, um, they don't have a, they don't have a desire to walk with the Lord. So, um, I asked her if she was willing to live this missionary family and this, at that time, there's another sister there helping out this missionary family. I asked her, would you be willing to stay with them, uh, for a few months? Just, just so they could observe her, because obviously I wasn't very objective about the whole thing. And also, she would be in a local church setting where she would be able to see other mature Christians, especially sisters, the way they talked, the way they dressed, the way they, what their interests were, everything, uh, family life, everything. And it would be really important for her to see these things. And also, because at that time, like I said, at that time, I was having meetings in my apartment, but it wasn't to the point where I would call the local church. And so it was real important for her to, as a new Christian, to be in that atmosphere. And so she was willing to, to my surprise, she was willing to, and she did that. And, and, and you know, I heard, I heard good things about her. And eventually, eventually I asked her to marry me. Amen. She took, she took pity upon me. (laughs) (laughs) Brother, when we, when we met 12 years ago or so at a meeting that you helped us with, one of the highlights of that meeting was hearing your wife testify briefly about how you guys met, how she received the Lord, how you led her to Christ. And then eventually how you ended up getting married. So I appreciate you relating the story. It's a, it's a real blessing. And now you're several years down the road and have children and, and still serving in China now together. I wanted to get to the subject of the situation in China and, and address this from several different angles. You've certainly been there long enough uh, to have a realistic view of the state of the church in China and I, I want to say I don't, I don't doubt that God is at work in the world in ways that would be really surprising if we were more aware of it. I, I sometimes think of the Lord telling the Apostle Paul while he was in Corinth of all places that he had much people in that city. So I don't want to diminish what God's doing around the world. And yet um, for years now, we've heard these uh, just stunning reports of the expansion of the church in China. And I did, I, I ran just a few statistics and, and, you know, the, the stats and the numbers are, are sometimes not reliable, I understand. But by some estimates, in the 80s, there were some, something like 6 million Christians supposedly in China. And then by 2010, something like 60 to 70 million Christians in China. And by some estimates, that number is 100 to 130 million. And supposedly in the next 10 to 15 years, the number of believers in China will exceed the number of believers in the U.S. And and I simply make reference to that because 
it seems like the the growth of the church in China has been romanticized somewhat. It, it's had this explosive growth. You've been there for a good deal of that reported growth. And I, I think it's pretty evident that the statisticians and the demographers would probably define Christian uh, much more broadly than you or I would. But what has been your personal experience in terms of uh, observing the growth of the church in China? And how would you describe the spiritual condition of the church in China and believers in general in the in the country of China? Um, I would say the growth of Christianity in China is the more shaft than it is wheat. And um, it's not to be taken seriously. Um, in China, most cr- professing Christians are what we would call nominal Christians. And nominal just means uh, someone's uh, Christian in name only. They don't know anything about salvation. They don't know what salvation is. They don't know anything about the Christian life. They just know believing in Jesus because that's believing in Jesus is a good thing and hopefully it can bring me a prosperous life. And that's that's about the basic, that's about the brunt of it. Um, I know there are different publications and different ministries that like to tout numbers and such thing. And you also find, generally speaking, these same ministries also tout the persecution. So the idea is there's so many people getting saved, we ought to send them money to help more get saved because God is doing such a good, great work over there. And I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, leery and suspicious of all this. Uh, because it's not what I've seen in reality in my corner of the world. Um, a lot of folks we come in, that come into our church, they'll say they're Christians, and I'll ask them, "When were you saved?" And I and I, and I don't do it in a mean way, like I just said. I do it in a very friendly way. When were you saved? And they don't know what saved is. In fact, I remember this is before I got married. I was going down an elevator, and I heard a couple women talking. They were, they were selling Amway. I heard a couple women talking, and uh, they talked about going to church or something. And they mentioned something Bible-related. And I asked, uh, hello, are, are, are you saved? Uh, are you saved? And they said, what? I said, saved. Oh, and then I changed my book. I said, uh, do you believe in Jesus? Oh, I said, oh, yeah. I've been baptized. We, I was baptized three years ago. And there's a, a many, many folks confuse baptism with salvation, and they, they don't know what salvation, if not, or they confuse going to church with salvation, or being a, just having a head knowledge of who Jesus Christ is with being a Christian. Most, you ex- ask them, can you explain to me what is salvation? How do I go to heaven? And they can't give you a clear presentation of the gospel. That's what most is, and that's what what you what many of us hear about the Christianity, the church in China, how it's exploding, and like that's what it is. And if it was exploding like that, then then it should have much more of an influence on the country, but it doesn't because it's a very well, like I said, number one, most of those folks 
in my view, are unsaved. And number two, if they are saved, it's a very, very weak Christianity because a lot of those folks do not live a Christian life. Um, and and if, if they are saved, they don't live the Christian life. So it's a very, the spiritual condition in China is among, among quote-unquote church, among the church, it's very poor. I think a lot of times when we hear staggering statistics about the growth of evangelical Christianity in China or anywhere else for that matter, a lot of times the understanding of the gospel is just very, very shallow. And a lot of those, a lot of those people that are being counted in those statistics do not have a genuine understanding of the new birth of the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, of the of the simplicity which is in Christ, of salvation uh, by grace through faith alone, and those that, as as you point out, when you have that sort of shallow gospel presence for those who are genuinely converted, a lot of times the Christianity itself is shallow because there's such little exposure to to biblical doctrine. I'm afraid that sometimes I don't want to be I don't want to be too sweeping with these things. I realize there's a danger in some of those generalities. I'm afraid that sometimes when you have the lost world that is reporting statistics, they're counting people that, as you say, are nominal Christians or don't even understand what it means to be a Christian. And on the other hand, when you have certain evangelical organizations that are reporting the statistics they have a monetary interest in conveying uh, a certain true. a certain view or a certain presentation of the growth of Christianity. There's a topic that is related to this that I wanted to get your your input on. I've heard you describe something of a leadership void in the Chinese church. And no matter any missionary working in any field, one of the challenges, one of the longings of any missionary's heart is to find good men to work with and to train, um, honest men and uh, consecrated men. And it can be a real frustration sometimes when it seems like there's a dearth of that kind of raw material that would otherwise could could be developed into leadership. And it seems like you've encountered this in in your time in China, and particularly when it comes to male leadership and which i think is is pretty curious given the what is reported as the disproportionate number of men in the country there's a larger male population than female population because of some of the policies of the chinese government mm-hmm. so it, i wondered if you could address the the uh, leadership void the lack of male leadership in the churches and why you think that uh, that's an issue well uh, it's it's just not one <clears throat> specific thing. It's many things that are connected together. Uh, but one of them, the, the basic thing is men are not willing to take responsibility. Due to the one-child policy, also not just before the one-child policy, uh, many men were just spoiled as a child. And it, as a result of being spoiled and doted upon a, upon a child, um, mom, mom and dad gave them everything uh, that they wanted, and as a result, when they grow up, they they're lacking something 
uh, in their manhood. Um, and that sometimes it's not put in there until after they're saved. Uh, in Chinese culture, it's tradition that, that mom and dad buy the man a house before he's married. And often, yeah, a lot of women, they won't, they'll, they'll ask if they're interested in a man, they'll say, okay, do you have a house? Do you have a car? Do you have this, 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 this? Now it's not beyond how many houses. Now it's how many apartments do you have or what kind of car do you have? And what, what job, I mean, it's a lot of the basis for marriage is, um, is, is, is things that marriage shouldn't be based upon. And so, so because oftentimes uh, a mother and father feel it's their obligation, well, we got to buy him a, an apartment so he can get married. There's, there's something that's missing in, in learning to be a man in, in Chinese culture in, in general. And it's not among everyone, but, but it's, it's missing. And, and also men aren't taught to be the head of the home. They're not, they're not taught to be responsible men that are head of the home. All these things, I mean, these, these are things somewhat from a biblical perspective, but, but they affect society and they affect the ch local church. They affect the church, uh, the, the, the spiritual leadership in the church, because, because in, the church, in the local church, uh, you know, a lot of men, they... They just let the women do things. As we mentioned earlier, the product, the byproduct of this spiritual condition in China is the, is the spiritual works of God, this, the local church and the church in China. So as a result, you got women leading the men. The Bible, anytime you look in apostasy, it's the God has to, you got women prophets in the Old Testament. And anytime there's a woman prophet, it's in a time of decline. Because the men aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And in, in Isaiah, he talks about women leading the men. It's just not one specific thing. It's many things that are intertwined. But also, on the other hand, there's many women that are not willing to submit unto a authority, whether it be a male authority in the home or a biblical authority. And I, I'll, uh, in our church, in our church, there's a good brother and sister that are very faithful. They're they're good people. They sincerely love the Lord. They love the Lord with all their hearts, and they want to do right. But the the woman has a real problem with submitting under biblical authority. There's a resistance, and there's a stubbornness there, unwilling to submit under the biblical authority. And as a result, there's a stubbornness and unwillingness to submit unto her the authority of her husband but on the other hand her husband has has been wishy-washy in certain areas just to um he maybe he hasn't taken up the role he should should have and provided certain needs that he should have as being a man so in our generally speaking in most churches you always the women outnumber the men and we know uh, i know of a, another church in in beijing where he's got the, the brother, he's a Chinese brother. He's got lots of men in there. It's, it's, a, it's a great thing. Uh, but generally speaking, it's always the women more than men. And I've also wondered, is this a reflection of me? Is this a reflection of my own leadership? <laughs> so, so, I mean, it, it's, uh, it, it's, 
it's a it's a byproduct of the spiritual condition um, and the culture and other things as well. We hear a good deal about the proliferation of of house churches as well, and I could see how the house church movement might lend itself to more rapid growth. But there are some there are some problems there as well. A lot of these house churches are really run by in an unbiblical yes. way. The, the the issue The issue is not strictly that that women are in charge. the The issue is that the Bible is not the authority. And exactly. If the Bible was the authority, then you'd have engaged, strong male leadership, and you wouldn't have women running anything because precisely as you stated, anytime you observe that in Scripture, it's in a time of uh, decline and apostasy when women are in that role. So what do you think are some of the strengths, perhaps, or uh, weaknesses of the house church movement in China? Well, uh, one of the strengths is that when you have a house church, and for for those who are not familiar with a, with a house church, a house church is just where the the local body of believers uh, they meet in somebody's house or or an apartment that's rented. And one of the one of the strengths is that it's as a local if it's a local church, uh, it's it's small and tight knit. Um, something's there's something to be said about a small local church. Where there's not a, it's not not very big because it's easy to be a tight knit um, family type structure and it's and it's and it's a it can be a real blessing and uh, folks are easy to watch over each other. Also, as a house church, you you can meet because in China, if it's not a house church, where are you going to meet? I mean, you can't you can't rent. A, the government is opposed to having a church building if any church buildings you see in china or see pictures of those are it's because the government allows it and the government has its um authority over it if it the government doesn't have its authority over it then then uh it's illegal can you explain that uh briefly for our listeners there are churches in china that operate legally but those churches are registered with the government. They're a part of the three-self-patriotic church denomination, more or less. Why do you have a house church movement in China? Why don't these house churches just register with the government and join up with the three-self-church so that they can have their own building and so that they can operate above ground? What's at issue there? Okay. Um, the three self church is what we call the government church and the three self church. They have three principles, which are, which are biblical principles, self-supporting, self-propagating and self, uh, governing. And so those are, that's a, that's what a local church should be. But when they say self-governing, self-support, they mean, they mean the Chinese government. They mean the Chinese authority of the Chinese government. And so all of those, what we call three self churches or government churches their their authority is the communist government which is atheist which opposes the bible opposes jesus christ and they appoint who is going to be uh, the pastor of that church and in the end they're the authority of that local church as opposed to the holy bible as opposed to jesus christ being the head 
So to register with the government is to essentially sacrifice a church's autonomy to an institution that's atheistic at its core. So exactly. it's, it's, it's not hard to see how that would be problematic. Exactly. We know, I know in, in the city we're in, there's a, there was a church that did that. And, uh, and I say church, I use the word loosely. Um, they did that. And once you do that, um, then the government has the idea is, well, if we do this, we'll be able to, it's, it's some people compare it to a church, um, incorporating in the United States. I don't know if some, some of your listeners may be maybe aware of this, but in the United States, if a church, a local church here incorporates, and it has to do with taxes and all that stuff. You're not dealing with United States constitution and government and history. You're dealing with a very different animal in China. And um, once the government gets a hold of that local church, um, then that that belongs to them. They have they have complete control over it. it. Whether whether they exercise that complete control over it is. It's, it goes by degrees. They won't do it at first. And once a, a, somebody does that, it's just, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. And, it's, and I've told, we stay out of politics in our church. If some folks start talking about politics, I say, hey, we, don't, we support the government. We don't oppose the government. We support the government. We may not agree with them on everything, but I don't agree with my wife on everything either. Um, but 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 we support them, and there, that's something that has to be there as the government. But as far as the local church goes, that's that belongs to God. And so when a, a lot of churches, they get the idea that, and, be, and it's there's several things in the in the some folks they just they just they get to be so big they draw attention to themselves. And the way they handle things, they draw, draw even more attention to themselves. So the idea is the government gives them pre- tells them they can't meet unless they register. Once they register, then they have to go through a certain process, and then they have to go to the government-authorized uh, schools, or they have to have a government-authorized pastor, quote unquote. And, and it, it just gets you're you're more you're like to to be simple about it, it you're, you're, you're registering this church under an atheistic uh, corporation. I don't know to, I don't know how to you could probably articulate better than I can. Yeah, well and the to to it's really not a relevant comparison to say that registering with the Chinese government is like a, a church in the US nope. taking articles of incorporation. Whatever you think about the whole subject of in churches incorporating in the states and that's certainly not our subject today. But in the U.S., the government is not appointing pastors. The government is not dictating what literature you can and cannot use. So uh, that there's just there's just simply no no comparison. But uh, <laughs> interestingly, those three those three self principles, um, self governing, self propagating, self supporting. Those are those are concepts that should be uh, present in any local church, but in China, uh, that's a the the three selves. That's a misnomer because it's really not autonomous anymore because it's subject to the state. And 
in as much as it's subject subject to the state, it's really sacrificed one of the one of the key components that make it a church in the first place, which is that it's operating on a, a church ought to operate under the headship of Jesus Christ, not under the headship of a communist dictator. When it comes to world missions and certain conceptions of the church in foreign lands, there's a temptation to romanticize and idealize the fruit and progress of the gospel. This is not to say that there aren't pockets of revival, hot spots of evangelistic zeal and growth, and inspiring stories of fidelity and consecration all around the world. But when we hear glowing reports of gospel expansion, we do well to keep in mind that not all that glitters is gold. Zeal and lethargy, revival and apostasy, illumination and confusion, these things are no respecters of borders. The work of missions is not accomplished chiefly through sweeping movements, but through God-called men that can assess the spiritual atmosphere of a people and place and faithfully plod in the Lord's field, whatever that atmosphere may be. In our next installment of this interview, we will continue our conversation with Brother Greg, including further discussion of the three-self church in China and the increasing repression of the Chinese church by the Communist Party. I hope you'll join us at that time. Thanks again for tuning in. You can subscribe to this program wherever you receive your podcasts. And if it's been a blessing to you, please feel free to invite others to tune in. I welcome your feedback. You can write to me at greatcommissionconversations at gmail.com. Until next time, let's do what we can to preach the gospel in the regions beyond whatever the political climate may be.